don't get so caught up in quitting your job. Set the metrics, like you said. And so, you know, the first is what are your expenses? And if you don't know that, then create a budget and, and pull that out. Set your expenses. You know, what do you need to be able to offset, you know, cash flow with replacing income at some point? And so you've got to understand where your expenses are before you can start looking at, oh, now I'm, now I'm going to move on to replacing my income. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back. Contrarian Cashflow. I've got Kyle Jones with me this afternoon. Kyle, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, so glad for you to be here and congratulations on your podcast as well. So, uh, so what's the name and, and where can the listeners find you? I appreciate that. Yeah, we just launched today as of this recording. So it's called the Income Investor Podcast, wherever podcasts are listened to, you know, everywhere else. You can find us there. We've got a website, theincomeinvestorpodcast.com as well. Awesome. And, and Kyle is beyond a wealth of knowledge. So I recommend any of my listeners to go out and check that out because it's going to be amazing. So well, Kyle, I've actually invested in a deal with him and one of his partners out in Huntsville, Alabama. So I know him quite well. And along that line, he recently quit his full-time job to, to expand in entrepreneurship and real estate investing full-time. So, so pretty excited for him and his upcoming journey. So, so what are you working on today, Kyle? I know you've got a lot of things in the hopper, but what do you have going? <laughs> Today, I'm working on closings, as a matter of fact, as we speak. So uh, pretty heads down, we've got a, a couple of deals that we're working to pull across the finish line. And so for us, closing is always the busiest time through the process, it seems, and just all the paperwork and the pass back and forth, making sure that all the all the uh, you know T's are crossed and, and I's are dotted. So hopefully we can get that done today, but it's actually looking like it's going to be Tuesday because Monday is a bank holiday. So... Yeah, well, I know I've, I've been staying close to that one because that was a portfolio of uh, of the Huntsville deal. So again, yeah. back to the people that think it's so easy, right, to close these deals. You just walk in and, uh, you know, just lock it up. That one's been a little bit of a process, but that one's going to be yes. a tremendous, a tremendous project. So I'm super excited for, for the outcome of that one. Yeah, yeah, no, we're excited. So the, the impetus for this whole conversation and podcast is really around that journey. And, and that's why I really wanted and was excited to have you on the show was because, Yours really speaks to me. Uh, I've got a soft spot in my heart for any sales professional in, in any realm, and uh, especially we're both in the tech space. So, so how did you go from being a successful tech professional and you know somebody that was going to be a company man to now quitting your job at you know what's what most would say is a fairly you know aggressive age for for somebody to retire corporately? Yeah, I you know. I guess I could start on, you know, as I reflect back some events that had happened in my life. And, and there were a couple that really just exposed the fact that I need to do something else besides working for my W-2. I need to have some sort of side hustle or another stream of income coming in, in the event that the W-2 isn't always there. And early on in my career, I was working for a smaller startup and, you know, selling software and in sales, we typically, you know, when you're starting out, it's obviously heavy, heavily weighted on the bonuses and everything else. So my actual salary was lower. So brand new job, everything else. And my wife is working or excuse me, was working at the time as well. She's a teacher. 
So, you know, not a massive salary. And, and she ended up getting um, sick. Uh, she's better now, but she ended up getting sick to a point where um, she was not able to finish out the year, which put a lot of financial pressure back on me as a husband and a provider. Thankfully, we only had um, one kid at the time because I don't know if I would have been able to provide for all three of my kids and my wife at the time on the salary that we had. So, through that process, you know, there was just a ton of financial pressure for me that I was feeling through the process. And, and I had always been watching flip this house, you know, HGTV, like everybody else and, and wanting to get into real estate. And we had at that time also bought our very first house that we were living in. So long story short, I'm condensing a lot of this, but we ended up selling the house. We made uh, about 10,000 bucks within 12 months on the house and moved back to Houston to be closer to my parents so they could help with my daughter. And I actually took a different job at the time too, uh, one that thankfully paid more and everything else. So it kind of helped us through that situation. But I bring that or, that story up because it was a, just a pivotal moment in my life uh, that really allowed me to uh, turn the lights on to real estate in general. And just, you know, like I said, I've got to have some sort of separate stream of income even though I'm working at now, I'm, I'm making, I, I basically doubled my salary, which was great uh, by going to this new company. So it gave a little bit of relief. My wife was able to focus on getting herself better. And so we were just in a really good position where I could spend more time focusing on studying education and everything else. And ultimately, you know, kept progressing towards this world of, of rental income versus just flipping houses. Um, I think that's so huge right now too. I mean, I, I love that story because people love to talk about their successes and, you know, the positive, it's always easy to to touch on the positives. People want to hear that. And one thing that resonates with me, especially today with COVID going on is talking about this with a previous guest is nothing's really COVID proof. There's not going to be anything out there that's not going to be impacted with this type of, I mean, a pandemic, right? I mean, you look at all the statistics out there and the analysts were all saying, what was the most likely of, you know, recession, you know, all these scenarios, World War Three, all these scenarios yeah. in pandemic was the lowest of, you know, the, of the opportunity on the list of, of actually happening. And so I think it's so important that, you know, this time in your life that was such a challenge with your wife getting ill. So that's an emotional struggle and obviously, you know, feeling for her but then also having the financial burden as well to really push you to get to where you are today. So I just, I just love when I hear stories of adversity and how people overcome it and and how that really clicks in their mind. Because I think of some of my friends and colleagues now that have spouses and significant others or themselves that have jobs that you would have thought were bulletproof, be it a doctor, a dentist, you know, even some attorneys to some perspective and their income's getting impacted or they're getting furloughed. And not, not to mention all the other people that are out there that have been impacted from an employment perspective, retail, hospitality, of course. But I just think it's so important that I, I just love the thought of, you know, out of the darkness comes the light. And just, you know, totally. that sounds like a really challenging time in your life. But the fact that to take that and kind of use that as a, as a you know, a springboard to get to where you are today, I, I think that's tremendous. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I've learned a lot from that situation, not just in, you know, the way that I'm making income for our family, but just like the mental aspect of it too. Our marriage is better. You know, I just have a lot more appreciation when you go through those types of adversity events in your life. And 
I'm kind of sugarcoating a little bit because, uh, you know, saving the audience from, you know, bringing this down on another level, but it was a very dark time for us as a married couple and as a new family. Well, and to your point to build, you know, that's the other side of it too, is obviously, you know, the financial and all that stuff is great and it's important and we all need that to an extent, but the fact that you were able to come out of this with a stronger relationship and, you know, and a better appreciation. I, I just think in general, we get so caught up in, in the next thing, you know, whatever it is, the next deal, the next paycheck, the next year, right? I mean, a lot of us are like, yeah. oh my gosh, we just need 2020 behind us. And we kind of lose sight of what is important to us. And so that's one of the biggest things that's important to me is my the time with my family and the level of relationship and our level of communication. So again, back to that, you know, out of this challenge, you were able to actually build a stronger relationship. I think that's, that's outstanding. That's Absolutely. tremendous. Yeah. Thanks. So then, so, okay. So, so it sounds like you had a challenging time and obviously you guys were able to overcome your wife's doing better now. So that's outstanding. So now you're in Houston and that's, that's still home base, right? Correct. Yeah. I've got the skyline behind me. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a view, man. Yeah. That's, is that from the bedroom window? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so you got to Houston, he took on this new job. So, and then obviously you started doing extremely well there. So, so can you kind of dig into to what that progression was like? Yeah. So there was still, there was about two years of, of time period where I was not really doing anything. I still hadn't purchased my first deal or anything. I was just reading a lot doing a lot of education, self-teaching type stuff, but I was focused on doing well at the, at the new company and, you know, really just trying to, to perform there and, you know, take advantage of the bonus potential that we had there. So I did kind of get caught up in trying to climb the corporate ladder. And I, you know, at the time I really didn't have the mindset shift that, that I have now where in hindsight, that's not what I want for my life. You know, I don't want to be a VP of this global technology company because I don't have my time to myself. And that's exactly what I realized after probably three or four years of working there and, you know, getting promoted through the process. And I, you know, got to a point where the next event that kind of thrusted me into getting in action is, uh, so my dad actually worked for the same company and he ended up getting kind of forced out in a way. So, you know, into early retirement. And watching him go through that process at the time, he's retired now um, and in, in much better position than he was. He was able to land somewhere, but he went through about nine months of trying to find a new gig at his, you know, at the age of 60. And so watching him go through that, I think it really resonated with me that, hey, I really need to take action now. Like if I want to be uh, in a position where 60 years old, I don't have to worry about getting another W-2 job just to make ends meet or just to, you know, prolong my retirement and, and delay, you know, drawing on my 401k for another few years, I need to start this process now. And more than anything else, I think that's also what really got my wife on board. You know, she's always been supportive of anything I've ever done, but it just really made sense on another level where she was like, it, it wasn't so much like, okay, I support you. It was like, no, you need to go do this. It, it was more of a push, like, <laughs> like, you got to figure this out because I don't want to be in that position either when we're old and, and doing everything else. So um, shortly after that, I went and started buying uh, single family homes and I went into it knowing that I uh, self-funded it and knowing that I wanted to just learn how to do it. I wanted to learn how to buy an investment property and turn around and sell it for a profit. And so I ended up flipping a couple of houses. A uh, few of them did really well. Some of them did okay. Thankfully, I didn't 
you know, ever lose any money. I broke even on a couple of them, but it was a good learning experience. And that's the way I looked at it. I looked at it as, hey, even if I lost a little bit of money, it's the cost of education to learn this, you know, this skill. You know, I can always go out and buy a house and flip it if I ever get in a position where I need some quick income. It was kind of my my thinking. But I, at the same time, realized that it took a lot of work to flip a house and just managing the contractors and managing everything else, especially I was doing it myself. I didn't have a team. You know, of course, I had a GC that was doing it, but you somebody's got to manage the GC, and which drew me to more of the, the rental property kind of research that I was doing, just really decided to keep a couple of those houses and turn them into rental properties. So I, there was actually two houses specifically, I pulled them off the market and decided to just put them up for rent and, you know, literally had a renter in there and two, three weeks on both of them. And still to this day, they're, they were my first renters. I've never had any other renters in those homes. So they were, that's awesome. You know, yeah, they were good buys. We, we flipped it. Well, we, we kept our costs right in line with our budget. Um, so it's a good story and it's cash flowing, but it's not, it's not helping me in terms of really replacing my income, which yeah. is what I caught on to. That was kind of my next goal. Not, well, let me back up. It was replace my expenses, then replace my income. That's kind of the steps to how I laid it out in my mind. And so I have a question uh, real quick around yeah, go ahead. The, the flipping. So, you know, I think that's a challenge in this, in this progression and in, throughout this journey is again, it's, you're trading one for another, right? So when you're doing this flipping and, and I've been there too, right? I mean, you, you said you uh, did a pretty good job within budgets. You know, I've, I've, I haven't lost money on a project, thankfully, but I've definitely blown budgets out of the water. Yeah. So they should have been a lot larger wins um, just from, from silly mistakes, you know, paying contractors too early. I'm a sucker for a sob story, you know? So, uh, yeah. you know, Hey, <laughs> I, I really need this money for X, Y, Z and I'll come back tomorrow and do it all. And, you know, I, obviously sometimes they don't always come back. So, so I think that's one thing I just want to kind of ask you about. So what what was the transition from a mindset perspective? Because you said you did really well on a couple of these properties. So that had to be a little bit intoxicating saying, well, geez, yeah. look at I just made all this money, but there was also a trade-off of the amount of effort. So so what really kind of made you make that shift into saying, hey, this offset of income isn't worth the the time, effort, and commitment that I'm making? It was the time. It, it really was the time for me. You know, I've still really invested in my career and trying to do well at my W-2 job. And at the time I really hadn't made the shift that, hey, I could really replace my income with this. I just knew that I was still invested because I had a really good thing going on with my W-2. So I was just really truly looking for something more passive. And I I knew about, you know, investing passively, you know, with other operators or anything else, but I have a control issue. And so I knew I wanted to do it by myself and I knew I could do it because I, you know, in a way kind of proved it to myself that it made sense to me as long as you have your assumptions that are properly aligned with market, you know, and that means like your cost and, you know, what you think you can sell it for. So you're really doing your research on the front end before you move forward, which I've always been more of an analytical guy, even in my sales career, you know, I take the quota and backed into it down to the week and the day for how much pipeline I need to generate in order to get those closed deals to hit my quota. So I kind of use the same logic when going through the process for the rehab where I needed to purchase the properties and, and things like that. So I just reverse engineered it back into the price. So it was just really a matter of the, the time that it was taking me driving out. You know, I was, 
working from home already. So this is, you know, I've been working from home for 10 years. So COVID has nothing on me. And getting, <laughs> you know, figuring out this work from home thing. I've been wearing, I've been wearing hoodies since day one. Since, uh, but, what are you guys all worried about? <laughs> exactly. But, uh, so it, it did provide me with flexibility to drive out to those projects, but it was still taking so much time. Cause that was the other thing these projects were scattered all over Houston and Houston is a massive city. It's not condensed like a, like a New York city or DC something where you can, you can get around to pretty easily. But I, I knew I wanted to eventually through the process, replace my expenses. That was my goal. You know, watching my dad go through that process, I got the training that I needed. And so now I felt like, okay, I, I know how to do that. It's time to move on. It's time to figure out how to actually generate more cash flow without me having to be so involved which led me to the rental aspect of it. And ultimately, you know, started with single families and then again, realized that wasn't scalable, which led me to multifamily. And so we purchased our first multifamily deal that was like a 14 unit and saw the cash flow from that and, you know, then sold that deal, but uh, bought a couple other smaller multifamilies before we finally moved into syndication, which is, you know, raising capital to buy these buildings. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. So, that, that's one question that I have. Um, obviously, on the circuit, a lot of people are like, you know, well, wh- how should you start? Should you start with the 150 doors or should you start with the 14 doors? So if you had to look back at your progression, I mean, it sounds tremendous. So, you know, I'm not passing judgment either way. But if you had to look back, do you think the the path you chose as far as kind of working your way up, you know, single family, small multi, now into syndication, or do you look back and say, hey, you know, I really could have jumped in head first and just started with the syndication side of things? Yeah, I think there's a place for that. You know, people talk about jumping right into apartment buildings, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you have the right partners and, and the right team in place. You know, it just really depends. I would caution people who are looking at that to really vet the partnership going in and making sure that partners have the appropriate experience for what you need in the partner itself, because I I personally have been burned in those types of situations. So, you know, I personally wouldn't do it any, any way different. I think flipping houses got me into a point where I understand construction. You know, I, I was in the process and I'm not handy. I don't fix anything around the house. I call a handy. I'm right, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm so, terrible. I was like, it was yeah. embarrassing. I had to buy tools. When I was on the, yeah. on the project, I was buying all the tools that I needed to do to do some of the handiwork on the projects. I was like having to yeah. call my brother-in-law. I was like, hey, can you bring over your drill and this and that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my dad can fix anything without even YouTubing it. And so I just, he never brought me along. And, you know, frankly, I was more interested in playing sports anyways, growing up, but it got me familiar with the process. So even though I'm not necessarily the skilled laborer, I know the order of events that need to take place in, in learning that construction process. And I've been able to also see things that I probably wouldn't know to look for by just going into a a deal where there's a little bit of a value add deal, stabilized deal. And so it got me really comfortable with that process, which, you know, fast forward, now we're doing a ground up construction deal, which I'm really excited about. So, because we did, we did some additions on some of the single family homes. So it, and I saw, and that worked out really well for us. I saw how we expanded the square footage of the house and how much value you can bring just by adding 
you know, uh, additional square footage and a, a new wing to the house, essentially. But there's a ground up process. You know, you, you prep the dirt, you fill the concrete, build the, the framing and everything else. And so, you know, it's helped me in really looking at also distressed assets and kind of seeing behind the scenes and, and seeing what it really could be. So it allowed me to really just focus my synergies when I'm going out looking at deals to really focus on the location and the comps and not so much worry about, you know, the amount of work that needs to be done. It's a numbers game. Again, you back into it, you get an idea on what our construction costs are. You put it into your model. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, then move on to the next one. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think kind of in the same vein, that's for me kind of going more the, you know, kind of the ramp, the slow ramp up is just made a little bit more sense. Cause I like to, I, I'm not uh, as particular and specific as you, I'm more of a shoot from the hip sales guy. So <laughs> I kind of ask questions, ask questions later, but also I want to have at least the aptitude to understand from a perspective of, Hey, a contractor gave a quote for X. Does that, is that yeah. reasonable? Or is it even in the ballpark? Like it doesn't need to be within, you know, 5%, but is it within 20 or 30% that I can, you know, say, okay, if I put a little bit of margin on top of that, okay, you know, this should cost $20,000 instead of, oh no, that's going to cost $50,000. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, I think a lot of times with these rehabs, and you've probably seen this too, some of these scenarios sound a lot scarier than they really are. You come across really? termites, foundation issues, you're just like, oh my God, there's a foundation. No way. I'm not going to buy this house. There's a foundation issue. And then you really dig into it. And so I, I think those are things that it's hard to learn just from, you know, from other people's perspectives or kind of partnering on scenarios. I think some of those things, at least for me personally, definitely behooved me by going in and seeing it. And to your point about the partnership too, I, I was burned as well. I mean, thankfully it didn't come to, to anything, you know, terrible, but it added a ton of anxiety and a lot of stress that, that, you know, that I, if I was doing it by myself or if I hadn't given that other person as much control as I should have, it wouldn't have led to that. And so I think, that's the important part about when you do start smaller, the losses are only so big. And I yeah. think that's the problem as you scale. I think a lot of these people sometimes are minimizing the risk factors and, um, you totally. know, and, and being as analytical as you are and taking on capital. I mean, that's why I, you know, that's why I, I greatly trust your, your abilities and your aptitude to do this because you've been through so many battles and, yeah. and so many deals and projects. And I think a lot of times when you're taking on capital, that's something that I just really want to call out is, do you really have the aptitude to know if a deal is going to go sour or not? And that's what, that's what scares me more than anything about people saying, hey, just jump in head first. Again, hey, you know, I'm not saying that's not a, a goal that people should aspire to, but at the same time, do they really, if they looked inside deep down, do they really have the aptitude to say, call out scenarios like you're talking about from an underwriting perspective or from a construction perspective? Hey, is that a reasonable cost per door based on, you know, what the scope of work that they're trying to do? Exactly. If you, if you dug in on some of those scenarios, I would be curious what the answers you would get, right? So that's why I always yeah. kind of call out the know, like, and trust a little bit is I think that can be a, a negative tool as well, because people are so concerned with making sure that the, the investor, the LP likes them versus as much hey, am I really capable of doing this? Or they're relying so much on their operating partner, but do they have the ability to ask the right questions of the operating partner? Totally. Experience goes a long way. And you want to make sure that you have really vetted the partner, even if it's just a buddy of yours and you guys are going to go learn this together. That's great, but you need somebody who has experience with the whole process. And I mean that down to a level of how do you communicate to investors? And that's a big part of what I'm talking about. Because when things get really tight, I experienced this too. And thankfully, it's more my sales background and how you deliver bad news to a customer. 
is probably no different than how you deliver bad news to an investor. And rather than like the sky is falling type of communication, which is kind of the experience that I had with uh, another particular uh, partner that I had early on, it was doom and gloom. It was the sky is falling. We've stumbled. We blah, 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 using words like this. We've, we've failed. We've, you know, we overlooked. It's like those types of words are, are, are going to really set the tone and perspective for the investor that you guys don't know what you're doing. And not to mention that like the sky really is falling and it's going to say to them that you also don't really know what you're doing or, or they're going to second guess that. And, and for sure, like I'm looking at it like, how do you handle yourself under the pressure? Because how you could have articulated something like that. So here's, here's a perfect example. You get in, this happened. We bought a property. We ended up having to evict. It was 56 units. We evicted down to 50% of the, of the, of the tenants, wow. which was not expected. Right. But we believed in the deal. And while I believed in the deal, I saw the market rents and sure enough, in hindsight, we got it filled back up and we were achieving our year three projections within 12 months after post renovation. But through that process, it was like, you know, the sky is falling type of communication that was coming out. And it created a lot of tension through the process, too, because not only do you have your investors that are like looking into this, like, oh, great, you got we just closed on this two months ago and you guys don't like now what like am i am i going to lose all my money is like it, it, that's those are the questions that i now i was having to answer and so now i was getting thrusted into my own experience for how to communicate and effectively and so that's where i just resulted back to my sales background and how i deliver bad news to the customer it's like you don't want to lie to anybody but you also want to set the tone like you know what you're doing you know the old saying where you you know you deliver the news you hit them you know hit them with it in the face but then don't just come to them with a problem, come to them with the solution as well. And that's how I was trying to do that and communicate that and like just highlighting the steps to take that we worked through it. So, and then the other aspect of it too, you have to have the, the, the uh, what's the right word? I, I guess I'll say the stomach for it too, because things do go wrong. We've had probably four or five deaths across my entire portfolio over the last few years. One of them was a murder. How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to communicate that? Are you okay with that? I'll tell you this too. When people die, it's a huge cleanup. I learned that. Like I've never experienced anything like that. Your body, especially a body that's been sitting there for three or four days. And in this particular case that I'm referring to, it happened a couple of times, but one gentleman, he was living by himself. He was just a quiet neighbor and just passed away in his sleep one, one day. And nobody noticed until they started smelling something coming from the door across across the breezeway. And we went in. I mean, we we spent about ten thousand dollars in cleanup just in a in a small thousand square foot apartment building. Ten thousand dollars to clean that up. Yeah. Those types of things happen. You're not going to be able to control that, and and you've got to be able to handle that, and not lose sight of the end goal you know, understanding the process that you're gaining the experience. And so how you look at that, your perspective is everything as you're going through the process. So you've got to be okay. You've got to have that. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, you really don't know how you're going to handle it until it happens to you. That, I mean, that's huge. I mean, I, I love your point about you've got to have the stomach for it. I, I think, again, a lot of people gloss over that. And I mean, you're talking about emotional situations, but there's also a lot of capital that's at risk too. And yeah. so back to your spouse and your wife, you need to make sure that there's alignment, not within your partnership externally, but also internally, 
not everybody is going to have the same level of risk tolerance. And, you know, thankfully sounds like for yourself as well, my wife is, is very supportive and, you know, is confident that regardless of the outcome, we'll come out, you know, maybe we'll lose some money and, you know, maybe it'll be a challenge, but we won't, maybe we lose the battle, but we won't lose the war. And I mean, if you're trying to market a property and someone gets, I mean, I've heard stories of people that are marketing properties for sale and somebody gets murdered on the property and, you know, then not just are there buyers going to have issues, but lenders have issues with murders on the property. And so then there's a lot of challenges. And if, you know, if you've got a balloon coming up or if there's some, some challenge or your IOs running out or whatever the case is, I mean, that's, that's, that's real. That's serious, yeah. right? That's when you've got some really serious, you know, capital at risk. So I really appreciate you bringing that yeah. up. Cause I just think that's so important for people to understand. So, so I guess one thing that I'm super curious about, I've never heard talk about this in detail is, so you've, you've got a multitude of different businesses going on on the side, right? So, I mean, you've got like, that's what's so important to me is the diversification. It's great that you're, you've got your W2, you've got some real estate going on, but you've got this tremendous other business that's going on as well. So, so what made you think like, Hey, you know, the real estate plus the W2 just isn't enough. Like, let me try to start to scale outside of this as well. Yeah, no, appreciate that. So one thing to the process that I, uh, of investing and in, especially in the single family home is that I realized how long it takes to get an appraisal back. And when you're using hard money and you're trying to buy these deals off wholesalers, typically they want to see you close in seven to 10 days and appraisal can really hold that up. Especially in today's market, an appraisal in seven to 10 days is unheard of. And I actually had a buddy of mine who is uh, now my business partner, but at the time he was just an appraiser, you know, just a, a certified appraiser working for another company. And I started asking him questions about, hey, how could, you know, could I give this appraisal to you and you give me, I'll pay you and you give me the friend, you know, the friend type of treatment to to get this done so I can close on this property. So he was kind of explaining the industry and you can't necessarily just do that. But um, fast forward, you know, we continued to have conversations around that. And, you know, essentially he is an entrepreneur minded type of person, but if you know anything about appraisers, they're probably, I would equate them to, you know, not that it's a bad thing at all, like a software developer or an engineer. It's just somebody that wants to just. Very, yeah, tactical, just, analytical. You know, very tech, yeah. And just go in and do their work and, you know, not necessarily on the sales side. And so that's where like in the tech space, all the, the, the guys who were technical, the, the developers and the, and the engineers who had a sales type of mentality, they were always the guys that just crushed it. So that's where, you know, we kept having those conversations and we decided to open up an appraisal business. And so we are an appraisal management company and I was doing this at the same time as IBM. And so that's really when, you know, I skipped a few months in there, but there was a time where I realized, okay, I want to shift my focus from trying to climb the corporate ladder at IBM to just let me just kind of put my head down, do what I need to do. But I'm also going to, after hours, start spending this other stuff up. You know, I was really trying to scale at that point, my multifamily business, uh, but also start this other business, the appraisal business. And there's a lot of reasons why, and I'll get to those in a minute if you're interested, but it was, you know, it took a few months to really get our licensing in order with the state of Texas and, you know, just get all of our ducks in a row before we launched our business. And I mean, the first thing I did was I called all those lenders back who I were was using for, for um, my investment properties, and I said, "Hey, I started an appraisal company. You know, we can do them quickly. So why don't you give us a shot?" And that's ultimately how it happened. And one thing led to another, and and you know, we ended up grossing about one point two million dollars in our first year. So wow. it was just 
me, him, and we had one other em- employee. So wow, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, two, two things real quick there. I mean, that's just outstanding. But first of all, I just think it's so impressive when people look at the situation and actually listen, right? So you saw the problem of the the challenge with getting appraisals back quickly. And I just think that's where the biggest leaps and gains are found is when you find a problem, you know, a solution to a problem. So I think that's awesome. And then also I'm always going to lean back on sales, but the fact that you had that background in sales, you're like, Hey, how do I use my network? How do I use referrals? How do I scale this quickly and efficiently? And then, you know, you go back to all, like you said, all those lenders that you'd been working with and you build this out, this referral network. And I'm sure then it's just gone gangbuster since then. But I mean, that's awesome. I mean, that's a pretty exponential. So was that at the time, was that I mean, you talked about how much you grossed. I mean, was that bringing in enough to to kind of give you a chance to step away or did you still, could you cover your expenses with just the appraisal oh, yeah. business? Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, our margins were very profitable. So that was very exciting for us, but it was a startup. And so I was like, it, it still in the mindset of, hey, we just need to nurture this. So my business partner, he was already a 1099 employee. He just said, yeah, I'm all in. And then we hired another person you know, I was handling the sales, the customer relationship, the operation side of it. And he and one other person, uh, our other employee would just handle the, um, you know, the execution of getting the appraisals back to the lender. And so, you know, he was okay with that because we were having so much success and we were making this money, but I was still thinking in terms of that, is this really real? Is this something that's going to last? Is that, so how could I you, I mean, ready. it was, that's yeah. pretty amazing. I mean, for one year, I mean, that's, I, exactly. that's incredible. Exactly. And that's where I was like in that position where I didn't really believe it. And so it, it took about, you know, another, well, it was another 18 months from there when I decided to make the the jump from the corporate world. But at that time too, the other thing, I was also continuing to build up my real estate business and continuing to add properties to the portfolio, which, you know, were cash flowing and doing well there too. So that's ultimately what led me to feeling comfortable enough to to pull the plug on the W-2 and just really focus on both of these areas and and get really focused in on the real estate business, but also really focused in on our appraisal business, which is now, you know, we've got license in all of the southern states. So we're working our way to build this national company and, you know, just kind of picking off one state at a time. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. Cause I mean, it, that wasn't even a journey that you set out on. I mean, so I think that's, what's so impressive about all this stuff is the scenarios you find out about that you never thought were even there. Right. I mean, you know, if somebody asked you years ago, if you were going to start an appraisal company, you'd be like, are you crazy, man? Like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? And now that it's able to be so profitable and efficient, and I'm sure you've gained a lot of successful business knowledge from running that business separately that you can in turn you know, plug into the the multifamily and the buy and hold side, and then also relationships. I mean, I'm sure you've brokered plenty of relationships from the appraisal business. And that's why I think it's so important when you're looking to scale other sources of income, if you can find some, you know, congruence there between them, it just, it allows for that ability to grow exponentially. So one thing real quick, that's a lot going on at the same yeah. time. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, so you've got, you've got your full-time job, you've got an appraisal business, you're doing real estate stuff. How do you keep, you've got a family. I mean, you've got a family. Yeah. How do you keep things straight? How, how do you, what are some recommendations for the listeners out there for time management? And how did you go about being able to handle all that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I started a while before I really started taking on these other companies. I started just trying to get much more done in the mornings that I would want to do after hours or that people may do after hours, you know, so things like just 
getting my day going um, and working out, getting all that done so that I could get back and just really hit it, hit it running full steam. And there's a health component to that as well, because if you don't have the energy and you're, you're not healthy, you're not going to be able to, to, to survive that, you know, you're going to crash. And I, I'm not saying I didn't crash. There were days where I certainly crashed and weekends where I literally did not move from the couch and try to take advantage of those types of situations too. But the other part of that is, like you said, I've got three kids and they are all very active. You know, my daughter's a competitive cheerleading and both my boys are in, um, you know, t-ball at the time now baseball. And so, you know, being a part of that and I'm coaching too at the same time. So it's really just a matter of trying to maximize your efficiency and, you know, it blurred together. I don't know if I was the best in really compartmentalizing my schedule throughout the day, but the main thing that I attributed that to is I kind of come back to my health and that sounds, you know, like something that just gets glossed over. But I think there's two things that people need to understand when, especially when you're going into this is if you're using real estate as a side hustle, you've got to get your health in order because of what I just mentioned. You're not going to be able to sleep. You're not going to be able to sleep efficiently. You're you know, just going to eat a bunch of garbage and, and not work out. If you're not going to take care of your body, you're not going to be well prepared to go out and, and try to make things happen and just really optimize your efficiency. You're going to be crashing. And so, yeah. you know, that's probably the biggest component of that. But my day starts at 4 a.m. You know, my day starts at 4 a.m. So like from 4 till seven, I can get a lot done there. I can do my own time. That's where I can really unplug. And that's when the house is still quiet. Everybody's still asleep. You know, so usually when I'm coming back from the gym, that's when everybody else is getting up and, you know, getting ready for school and, you know, hang out for a few minutes and and on the day. And then I will see them when they come home. And that's really where I really try to shut off by like 530 and, you know, try not to touch anything again until around 8.15 or so. They go to bed at 8 o'clock. So once they go to bed, then I'll get back on or I'll, I'll, I will hang out with my wife at that time. Or, you know, sometimes she just wants to watch her own show or whatever. So if I'm not interested, I'll, I'll do my own thing or, you know, research, network, do whatever I needed to do for these businesses. But yeah, I mean, I think for me, it just comes down to taking care of your body so that you can enjoy the cash flow long term, but also so you can take advantage of the time that you have now and being younger if you're younger or uh, just taking advantage of the hours that you have now to make it happen. That's great. And I think that's one thing that people do kind of look past sometimes is, you know, sound body, sound mind. And, you know, at the end of the day, your mind is, you know, taking care of that health wise calorically, physically, you know, cardiovascularly. I mean, that, that's so important. And so one thing I really like to call out is you talked about compartmentalizing and finding a part of your day that you could control. And I think that's one of the challenges I have personally being a parent as well. You know, my kids go to bed a little bit earlier, but they also wake up a little bit earlier. And that's just for whatever reason, the cycle, they get, they get a little bit uh, moody if we, if we, if we keep them up and they, they wake up at the same time. And so I think that's one thing that's really allowed me to be successful as well is, is waking up early. I don't wake up at four. I wake up at four fifty, So not, not quite as early, but I think that's tremendous because that does give you a good two hours, three hours in the morning that you can kind of work through some things, have some quiet thoughts. And then when your family does start waking up, you actually have the ability to interact and be around and be that present, you know, father that, you know, I know that you, you want to be. So, so that's awesome. I I like, I love that advice. So one thing we talked about tangentially, but I want to kind of dig into it more. So who are the people that have supported you? You've talked about your wife. So I I kind of want to dig into that a little bit because 
that's to me, that's so important. And, and that's something that I've been extremely fortunate with, but I, I want the listeners to kind of know what these conversations are like and, and how that's really allowed you to potentially excel, you know, past what maybe even your wildest thoughts were because of that support. Yeah, it's, it's tremendous, you know, tremendous to the point where when I told her that I was going to quit my job, she just looked at me and said, okay, you know, didn't ask questions, didn't ask how we were going to make any money, didn't ask all that. She just trusted me enough because she had been a part of the process and seen enough and knew that I was working hard and kind of grinded it out to, to make it happen. And, and she knew, you know, she's known since she married me how analytical I was. I mean, I look at everything and, you know, even the petty stuff. So <laughs> she knew that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to make a decision that would put our family in, in jeopardy. She trusted me with that. So that was, that was just tremendous. But also my two business partners, you know, I have one main business partner on the multifamily side. And then, uh, of course, my business partner in the appraisal business, without their support and their family support, none of this would have been able to happen either. So it's not so much just my wife in the regards. It's just the team of people that are around me. And that's really how I've been able to do this whole thing and have, you know, basically three different businesses at one point and really, you know, businesses that needed a lot of time and attention to. It was just around about building the team around me and leveraging people to put them into the right skills that they need so that we could execute and continue to push things forward and grow the businesses and everything else with that. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I know I remember talking to Lane a few times and he was giving you a hard time. He's like, man, I just, if you keep telling Kyle, he just needs to quit already. Like, what's he doing hanging around? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's awesome. I have a good team. I have a good team, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's tremendous. And I think back to your point about partners before around vetting them and making sure that they have proper alignments. I mean, you've got to make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that are going to pick you up and push you to become the person that you can be. And so I think that's just so important. And so I would just really make sure when people are looking at these partnerships, really dig deep and make sure that that these people have alignments and that they have the same values and morals that you do, because that at the end of the day, that's really what in my mind defines, you know, who people are and, and what's important to them. And kind of like you said, I mean, this, this was a journey throughout, but you knew that it was more of a defensive posture to an extent, making sure that you had that ability to provide for your family and your children and your, and, your, and everything and your wife. And so I just think that's so, yeah. that's so great. And again, you know, has helped push you forward, I'm sure. So I guess the last question before we wrap up is around the actual exit itself. So you know, I know you and I have talked about this before. And again, I appreciate your perspective because it's, it's helped me clear my mind and make sure that I'm making the decisions that align with, with what I want from life. And so what recommendations do you have? I mean, because it's probably going to be hard for somebody else to duplicate potentially the success that you had from the appraisal business and from the real estate before making that transition. So what advice would you give somebody? Was there a metric as far as, you know, how much your income was versus your expenses? What advice would you give overall to somebody that is looking at that transition, making sure that they're hedging a little bit to an extent that they're not going to just jump headfirst? Yeah. I mean, that would be the very first thing that I, that I say. And it's the same thing that I told you when we first spoke that, you know, last year, it was don't get so caught up in quitting your job, set the metrics, like you said. And so, you know, the first is, what are your expenses? And if you don't know that, then create a budget and, and pull that out. Set your expenses. You know, what do you need to be able to offset, you know, cash flow with replacing, you know, income at some point? And so you've got to understand where your expenses are before you can start looking at, oh no, I'm now I'm gonna move on to replacing my income. 
And, you know, for some people that's, that's going to be much lower, you know, especially, you know, somebody who's fresh out of school, maybe they're, um, they don't really have many expenses. So, you know, take advantage of that right now and, and live lean and, you know, do whatever you can to educate yourself as quickly as possible and, and try to find uh, people that you can trust and partner with at some point. So, you know, I, I would come back to that and just not really getting caught up in the luster of being a full-time investor or entrepreneur and everything else. It sounds great. And it's, you know, I, I like it. I like saying that I'm a full-time investor and an entrepreneur, but at the same time, it, it took me several years to get to this point. And, you know, I was the primary breadwinner, you know, making a couple hundred K a year, you know, I was doing well and eventually got to a point where I was comfortable enough because we built up all these different streams of income to be able to do that. And so, you know, it's really just understanding your situation and being aware of where you are at that point and not really comparing yourself to me or anybody else, because yeah, I mean, appraising, you know, I don't know any other multifamily syndicators who have an appraisal business, but you know, that's not, it's not anything special that I've done. It's just a niche that I found. And you don't have to have some highly specialized niche. It could be the same, you know, as somebody else, if you were like creating a, a side hustle or, or something like that, but it's just, you know, can you do it well? Can you do it better? Can you create income from it and, and figure that out? So it's really just, like I said, coming back to awareness and, and, and assessing your own situation before you can really set the pace and, and set realistic goals from there. And I, and I think that's one thing I got caught up in personally was, like you said, the luster of it. It sounds great. Hey, quit my job, you know, kind of just throw caution to the wind. Hey, I got this. Maybe that's the sales part is like, I'll figure it out. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I got this. So, you know, that can be a positive and a negative. But I think the biggest thing that you said that is a huge takeaway for me is really make sure that the decisions you're making are based off what's important to you and what, what you want to have happen, not looking external for the validation of, okay, well, now I can post on social media that I'm a full-time investor, entrepreneur, or anything like that. So I think that's the biggest thing is just make sure you're defining what's important to you and nobody can do that but yourself. And then make sure that your goals and aspirations align with that. So, and then back to the analytical side, just make sure if you're not tracking your budget, I, I think that's a huge mistake. I mean, you just got to do that. Maybe not down to the penny, but you need to know, you know, plus or minus 10% of what, where your spend is going from a monthly perspective so that you can know what you can cut off because if you are looking to make that leap, you know, every dollar is going to count um, eventually. Yeah. So, but uh, all right, well, let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So, okay. um, so I'm curious about this one. So what is the most contrarian investment you have made in your investing career? I think it's probably a little bit of what we're doing now and experiencing now, and that's development. We're developing a property in the time of uh, a lot of volatility in the market. We've got an election coming up, so who knows what's going to happen after that. And then we've got this coronavirus that we don't know if it'll ever go away or hopefully after the election, it'll just stop and go away. But you know, we're moving into ground up construction, and I think that's a, a contrary to as you're looking at you know, all these multifamily gurus, you know, pick your flavor of choice. None of them are talking about development. And in fact, some of them are probably shying away from development. So for us, it comes back to the numbers, you know, the cost of construction and the market that we're developing in is significantly cheaper than where deals are trading on these types of properties. It makes sense. There's a lot of logic there and it's pretty simple. And again, you back up, you know, make the numbers work, reverse engineer it, back it up. What are your costs, everything else? And so, you know, I'm not just going out and developing a property. I have partnered up with a uh, a guy that I've known for a while 
um, here locally in Houston. He's been a developer for 35 years. So, you know, he's going to bring that experience and help us through the process and, and make sure that we're doing the right things. But that's, that's probably- awesome. Always back to the numbers, always back right. to the numbers. And I think that is an interesting point right now that, you know, the cost of these value add deals price per door is growing and growing and growing, especially when you look at some of these major metros. And it's just crazy. I mean, stuff straight in 150, 200K a door in, you know, what I would deem secondary markets. But I mean, obviously there's still major cities in the country, but they're not the coastal, you know, kind of the primary markets that most people talk about. So I think that's why I think construction is so intriguing right now, in my opinion yeah. as well, is because if you can build for relatively what you're buying, but you have a brand new product versus a 20 or 30 year old product that you're kind of just refacing. I mean, why not? Why not? So I think yeah. that's tremendous. Um, what's your favorite activity? I know you talked about being active, but what's your favorite activity to do with friends and family outside of investing? I love being at the ball fields. I'm a big baseball guy. I played in college and now I get to coach my kids. So I love being a part of that. And of course, being at the cheer competitions with that too, with my daughter and just watching them do what they love. They love it and they work hard at it as much as young kids can. And so that's probably my favorite thing to do on the weekends. That's great. And I think that's such a great learning experience too for kids is to learn competition, to learn how to deal with yeah. people, to learn how to to trust others on your team, but also learn that, you know, that sometimes you put your trust in other members of the team and they're going to let you down. And I just think the adversity from youth sports has impacted my life positively, both, you know, when I had successes and failures. And so I think that's such a great learning experience from, from a young age. And then lastly, so a big part of this also is like, what offers you fulfillment? So, so in life, outside of the investing and, and obviously the, the family stuff, but what, is there anything else that offers you fulfillment out there that, that really kind of gets you going and, and makes you feel, you know, like you're doing the best that you can and being the best you can be? Yeah, man. I really am so grateful for my family and, and in a way that I think about, you know, at some point being able to, well, at some point it's here, you know, next summer when they get more active into sports and travel ball or travel competitions, being able to just be there with them and support them at every single competition or game. And, you know, just really trying to nurture that and raise them up in a way that is going to create an impact in this world and, and not just in their lives. You know, if they want to be multifamily investors at some point, that's great. Um, or if they want to be business owners, whatever. But it's more about just contributing to society and making sure that they're good people and that we're not deviating them from that. We're creating a and nurturing a an environment for them that's going to, you know, build them up and encourage them and ultimately be able to serve other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to do the same thing. You know, hopefully I'm not messing them up too much, but uh, yeah, being around, I think in present is, is huge. And I think that's some yeah. way, a way kind of back to that time freedom. I think that's a huge way that you can really support your children and, and they'll gain a lot of value from that as well. So, Absolutely. well, Kyle, well, thank you so much, man. This has been yeah. awesome. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So for our listeners out there, I mean, you've got some deals going on, you've got a podcast launching. What's the best way that everybody can get in touch with you right now? Yeah, they can reach directly out to me via email. My email is kjones at truepointcap.com. And they can check us out on our website, truepointcap.com. Of course, the podcast website is the incomeinvestorpodcast.com. So we're out there. Sounds good. Well, thank you again. Like I said, I really appreciated this yeah. conversation and enjoyed a lot of your points. So, all right, till next time, everybody, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different. 
earn different, live fulfilled.